Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book In My Father's House by Corey Tinboom with permission of Light Trails Publishing Company and the Tinboom Foundation. And we are on Chapter 4, The Many Ages of Love. Children need the wisdom of their elders. The aging need the encouragement of a child's exuberance. Wisdom and exuberance lived side by side in the Bayer, a house filled with varied personalities of the old and the young. Tanti Bep, alone in the crowd. Children's nurses in the rich houses of Holland were very lonely. They were not at home in the kitchen with the servant girls who thought the nurses had privileges which they didn't enjoy. And they were not at home in the drawing room with the master and the mistress of the house. Consequently, they frequently became bitter with their circumstance of not belonging in any niche of society. Tante Bet was a children's nurse going from job to job and becoming unhappier each year. She was the oldest of mother's sisters and one of the reasons I realize now that my mother was very skilled in the art of tact. Mother usually had to steer a smooth course in our family with all the aunts and their individual views on education and discipline. She knew how to bring the ship between the rocks. When Tante Bet became too weak to work as a nurse, father and mother took her in. She had the same big, beautiful eyes like mother, but the expression was very unhappy. She was quarrelsome about everything, and there was the issue of coffee, for instance. She told Tante Annie, I'm the only one in this house who can make coffee. Now, if there's one thing that was important in our house, it was a good cup of coffee. Tante Anna could shift her apron around in her ample waist, clear her throat with gusto and say, Bep, if you think your coffee is so good, you may just take over the cooking from now on. Anna, Mother would say with her soft smile and gentle persuasion, we couldn't exist without your fine cooking. And Bep, I know your coffee is excellent too, so perhaps you would like to make it your way on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was such a small house. It was impossible to avoid Tante Bet, but I tried, because I didn't like to be compared to the Waller children. The last place she worked before coming to live with us was with the Wallers, and I thought they must have been angels who had halos polished every day. The Waller children were always neat. The Waller children never ran in the house. I didn't like to tell Auntie Beth anything, because she would say the Waller children would never say such a thing. Mother always smoothed my insulted feelings by telling me. Tante Bet complained about the Waller children when she was caring for them. Love her for what she is, Corey Man, and remember, she has had a very lonely sort of life. Tante yawns. That's that. Corey, close the door. My feet are cold, and I'll be sick with all the drafts in this house. Tante yawns was always concerned about her health and made us very conscious of her needs. She had a diet which was different from the usual fare of the rest of the family. As a child, I sometimes thought it would be interesting to be sick and have my own trays of food and special attention. Her rooms were special, too. Mother and father had given her more floor space than the rest of the family because Tante Jans had a great deal of furniture to fill the rooms which she occupied upstairs. Her husband had been a well-known minister in Rotterdam, and she had worked faithfully beside him in the church. They had no children, and it was a great loss in her life when he died before she was 40 years old. After his death, it was clear that her place was to be in our house. Tante Jans was not a woman to curl up with grief, 
As soon as she had become established in her new quarters, she began all of her many activities which contributed to our bustling household. She was a poetess and an author and an unusually good speaker. She started a monthly paper for girls, wrote books about gospel message, organized clubs for young women, and even began a club for soldiers. One time, Tante Jan swept into the house, pulling the scarf off her mouth and proclaiming, There are soldiers wandering around the streets of Harlem with idle minds and mischievous thoughts. I'm going to start a club for soldiers. That's that, and it was settled. When Tante Jan's made one of her announcements, the wheels were set in motion. Before we knew what had happened, our house began to look like a military installation. They would come alone or in pairs, young men who disliked the street life, and were looking for the simple warmth of a home. One sergeant she met on a tram car was a great musician. When he saw the harmonium which Tante Jans had against the wall of her room, he sat down and began to play, making the thin walls of the house quiver with each crescendo of volume. Tante Jans folded her hands and listened intently to the talented soldier. She decided that Noli and I should have him give us music lessons. Even if we had not enjoyed music, we would have learned because Tante Jans decreed it. Soon I could play hymns well enough to join in the meetings and accompany the singing. It taught me at a very young age not to be self-conscious in the presence of men, although I don't think that was the intent of Tante Jans. Some people had the gift of raising money by convincing others of the worth of the project, and this was one of Tante Jans' special talents. One afternoon, she had a tea and invited some wealthy women she knew to come to the, her rooms. We scurried around rubbing her silver tea set until it glistened and making sure everything was immaculate for the occasion. I peeked out the window and watched the ladies arrive, swishing into the house with their long dresses underlined with full petticoats. How could they possibly walk and maneuver the narrow stairway with all those skirts? I had a great time just keeping my feet in front of me. It must be a burden to be rich and have to dress in such fancy clothes, I thought. Evidently, Tante Jans was convincing, for in a short time she had enough money to build a military home. When it was finished and filled with soldiers, she went twice a week to give Bible studies. Tante Jans didn't move with the times. She marched to her own beat. Her outspoken ideas on behavior, clothes, and theology were constant abrasions on the surface of our family relationships. When I was a child, I thought Tante Jans was very rich because she was a minister's widow and received a small regular pension. Sometimes she would have an unexpected donation, and we would all share her joy. However, when she bought clothes for us, it could be very embarrassing, especially for Noli and Betsy, who had their own very distinctive taste. Oh, dear, Betsy would say as she turned to give us the effect of the drab gray dress that Tante Jans had given her. Do you think she would mind if I put some lace around the neck or maybe a pink sash at the waist? Betsy, if you think it's that bad, just look at this hat. Noli would groan as she pulled her bonnet on backwards, sending us all into suppressed giggles. Tante Jan's taste in hats was somewhat between the style of a servant girl and that of a great-grandmother. Noli was very fashion-conscious, and the gifts of study clothes were a challenge to her ingenuity. I don't care about my appearance. I accept all she gave me and I consequently received the most hats and dresses. During the First World War, most of Tante Jan's income stopped. It was dependent upon gifts of people who were having financial struggles themselves. I remember she was surprised by an unexpected gift of 50 guilders, about $18, and quickly gathered her muffler and umbrella to go shopping.
When she returned, we thought something amazing must have happened because she had forgotten to button her coat to the top. The side of Tante Jan's with face flushed and scarf loose was as uncommon as seeing the queen riding in a streetcar. Come in, everyone. I have something to show you. We all followed her into her room, and she spread her packages on the sofa and began to distribute them with a suppressed excitement. There was a warm blanket for Mother, a coat for me, black and shapeless, but practical, a blouse for Tantiana, and cakes for the whole family. Any sweets were rare for us, reserved for birthdays and very special occasions. I found out later that she had spent more than 70 guilders on us. I believe she was one of the richest persons I have known, for she knew how to give to others. Tantiana, the sheltering apron. Tantiana, stocky and practical, unsentimental, was our substitute mother whenever mother was too ill to care for us. She ruled over her little basement kitchen like one of Tante Jan's sergeants over his platoon. She was firm and hard-working, but overflowing with love for mother and father and all the children. When I was very young, I would stand beside her in our basement kitchen and lick the bowl of something she had been making. I watched the legs of the people passing by the kitchen window, for that was all we could see from beneath the street level. I began to wonder about all the people in the gigantic world outside. Tante Anna, where do babies come from, I asked. She stirred the alpha-alphatas a bit and answered carefully. Well, Corey, when a baby is too small and weak to live in the cold world, there is a place underneath a mother's heart where it is kept warm and can grow until it is strong enough to stand the cold in the big world. I could understand that. It seemed like a very good plan of the Lord's. My question answered in a simple manner. I went on to the more important matters of life, such as investigating with my fingers the inside of another bowl. This one contained a special treat, illusion, which was a dessert made with a stiffened egg whites and flavored with lemon and sugar. There was more air than substance, but it was good for a big family. Tatiana was a good cook, stretching a little far. She would cook a stew on a big black coal stove until most of the vegetable all blended into each other. The alahafasath meant every bite the same, and I knew it was a real surprise and a treat when we encountered a piece of meat. She had her club work, too, and her concern for others reached into the homes of the wealthy who employed servant girls. Every Wednesday and Sunday evening, a group of them would come to the club room and bring their sewing and embroidery work. Tante Anna taught them the gospel songs and gave them a Bible study. When one of her girls went the wrong way, Tante Anna became ill. Her face would become puffy and swell. And we didn't have to ask. We knew that she had received a piece of bad news. Tante Anna, who was it this time, we would ask. She would take her apron and try to hide her blotchy face. It was Betty, she would say, dabbing at her eyes. She wasn't strong enough in the Lord, and she ran off with Hans. He had two wives before this. She would become as distressed as any mother would over a wayward child. Anna, father would say, you must not bear this yourself. Cast your worries upon the Lord. Noli. Noli was physically the strongest of the three girls in the family. I consider her my elder, although she was only a year and a half older than I. Even when she was a little child, she felt responsible for me. She was my little mother. As a toddler, whenever she drank water, she brought a cup for me, too. I had to drink even if I wasn't thirsty. After all, Noli knew best. 
I was shy and she was not. She voiced her needs and views and I waited. One time when we were very young, Nellie and I were out for a walk when a man on a bicycle knocked us down right in front of our house. Covered with mud and shocked, we ran into the sitting room, loudly declaring our presence. Nolly screamed and everybody came running, brushing her hair out of her eyes, wiping off the dirt and kissing away her tears. I stood in the corner watching all the commotion and wondering when I should take my turn screaming. After Nolly was through, of course, I knew my time to be comforted would come. Suddenly, Mother said, Little heaven, come look at Corey. Everyone stopped, and for the first time I realized I was standing in the corner of the room, big tears making muddy rivers down my cheeks. Finally, I was given the attention of the grown-ups. The little alley beside our house was the scene of many events in our lives. There wasn't much room for playing in the overcrowded house, so the alley was our yard, our recreation room, and our schoolhouse of life. Once Noli met a little boy named Sammy Stahl. I think there must have been something wrong with his heart, for his skin had been bluish color and his nose was always red. He was unable to walk and propelled himself in a wheelchair. Noli made friends with him and encouraged by my mother, she would push him for hours and hours while the rest of the children were playing active games. When he died, Noli was heartbroken. Noli's grief was probably a shared feeling. Even when we were very young, we knew our problems were never too small for the grown-ups. There were many ways and many ages of love under one Dutch roof. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is their gray hair. Proverbs twenty twenty nine. And next time we'll be reading chapter 5, Winking Angels. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.